from the I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more from just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see mckinneycompetitions.com. The rail network really needs to uh, go into facilities that people use like our airports, like our harbours and, and there needs to be a whole connectivity. I mentioned hospitals earlier. Railways were on the way out and road transport was on the way in and they didn't have the vision to see that if they piled everything onto the roads that sooner or later the roads would become totally congested. It was a day of absolute horror. Every, every horse and cart in our mind that could carry anything was summoned, uh, was, was summoned out of town to come and try and bring people up to the infirmary. Things are happening. We, we, we feel that, that, that uh, ported around to Armagh will, in first be, will be the first link to be reinstated of all the closures that took place in the 1950s and 1960s. Those were the voices of William Hutchinson, who is the chairman of the Portadown Armagh Railway Society, and Willie Parr, committee member. And this is your host, Elaine Ingram. And today, William and Willie sat down and spoke to me all about the Portadown Armour Railway Society, known as PARS, and what the organisation is all about, and what they're hoping to achieve, which is to get 10 miles of railway open between Portadown and Armagh, um, and in general to get trains back on the rails again. They also talked about the terrible tragedy, the Armagh rail disaster of 1889 and how that all happened and how it affected the people from Armagh. So let's hear from William and Willie now. I'm here today with um, Willie Parr and William Hutchinson from the Portadown Armagh Railway Society and we're here to chat today about uh, the ongoing need for the railway to be reintroduced between Armagh and Portadown and um, you know strides that have been made over the years and I suppose the struggles that have, you've come across while you've been trying to get things done and um, so maybe first of all uh, William you can maybe just tell us a little bit about the society itself and your part in it and how it came about you're the chairman I believe I'm the chairman yeah and uh, the Portadown Armagh Railway Society was set up in August 2012 and the aim was to lobby or campaign to have the railway brought uh, back to Armagh again uh, from Portadown. The Armagh line was closed uh, in October 1957, the 1st of October 1957, and the people of Armagh have always missed the railway uh, since it was there. Uh, the railway was, was well used by the public then. In fact, the local officials would say that tickets went up, um, the, the number of patrons who used from 1938 right to it closed 1957, five times, five-fold from 1938. So there was a great passenger usage uh, in, in the city of Armagh. And of course, when the railway was first built and it left Belfast uh, on the 1st of March, 1848, it left the town of Belfast 
and came to the city of Armagh. So Armagh was a very industrial, popular city. Yeah. And it's where the railway company really wanted to go to. And there was great disappointment when the railway closed in October 1957. In fact, there were hundreds of people at the railway station when it closed. And the people so uh, admired the railway. Um, there were hundreds of people there. They went up and they actually patted the steam engine. Nice. Uh, they lifted pieces of coal off the tender at the back to keep for souvenirs. And the train, which was meant to leave at 10 to 10 that night, left it just after 10 o'clock. Right. Because the people held it back and there was shaking of hands and there was all of that. So it was a huge night for Armagh when the, when the railway left. So ever since that, just to get back to what we're about in, in the Portadown Armagh Railway Society, we're trying to have the line reinstated, not for nostalgia, because things have moved on. There are now too many motor cars on the road. The, the Portadown Armagh Road, which is known as the A3, there are now about 17,500 cars use that road every day. Yeah. It's just an ordinary A-class road and there are holdups on the road all of the time. And the people in Armagh City, which is an expanding city, as we can see right around every boundary of the city, the city is expanding. And there's a huge need for a fast and efficient rail network between Armagh and Belfast. We yeah. believe it would be highly used by the people. And the thing is, like you say, and maybe you could t tell me this, Billy, um, you know, you say that it was used and it was really popular and it was, I mean, you can kind of understand in some way if, 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 if railways are closed down because, you know, they're not viable and they're not being used. Why in 1957 did they decide to close the railway in the first place? Well, you see, it was basically, most people would say, a political decision because all the railway lines west of the barn were closed all at the same time. The, the lines, right? The so they didn't care that this was a used railway. They no, just you see, there were very. The government at the time were very road-minded, and uh, a number of them were said to have interests in road transport, and so it was a it was a decision they made that everything could be carried in lorries, and of course after the war, the First World War lorries became more and more popular because right. soldiers came back from the wars and they'd learned to drive and so forth and therefore road transport became more and more popular and of course as far as the buses were concerned they could go from the middle of a village to the middle of a village yeah. whereas some of the railway stations were situated away outside the village i mean moy would be a good example where the station's about two miles away from the village and Rich Hill, it was three miles away from the village. So it meant, in effect, that uh, the general idea was that railways were on the way out and road transport was on the way in. And they didn't have the vision to see that if they piled everything onto the roads, that sooner or later the roads would become totally congested. And the unfortunate thing was the closed all these railway lines west of the barn. I suppose for the obvious reason that the population is a lot thinner in those areas. And it meant that uh, basically the railway was wiped out over about 70% of Northern Ireland one way or another. Actually, one thing that William was saying there about the railway being very popular at that time, 
the, the railway was always very popular in Armagh. I, I remember about 1959, uh, there was another newspaper in Armagh called the Armagh Guardian. Right. And uh, there was a fellow I was very friendly with. He was a cub reporter. He was only about 16 or so at the time. And he had got to hear that they'd been lifting the railway track from the border and they were right up as far as Armagh. And every day there was a steam train and wagons came from Porter Down and they were lifting at the level crossing at the Loch Gall Road in Armagh. So Richard and I went down to the station and we started to talk to the men. And one of them suggested, or maybe we suggested, could we go for a ride on the train to Porter Down when they were going back that night? So to cut a long story short, Richard and I travelled in the guards van of the rail lifting train from Armagh to Portadown. So I could claim to be the last civilian who probably <laughs> ever travelled on that line. I was always interested in transport, but I thought it was a shame the Armagh line was closed. Yeah. Because it still carried a lot of traffic. And I, I was on it, I travelled quite regularly on it myself. Yeah. As a schoolboy, about a few years earlier, and you know, I think the Armagh Council were said to have been the only council west of the bomb that didn't object to the line being closed. That didn't object? Yes, and that's in the archives right. on the Ulster Gazette report. Yeah, you think that they would have been the ones to object, you know, that would have been the logic, you know, given that it was such a such a popular route. Oh. So is that so that with that um you formed the the society? Yes, there always had been a, a huge interest in the in, in the railway coming back to Armagh again. In fact a bit like the, the borders line in Scotland, uh, there were people that's the line from Edinburgh to Tweedbank. It was closed thirty two miles in length, or if not thirty-five. Um, the people there always rude the day that the railway closed in Tweedbank and they campaigned and just a few years ago that line was reinstated by the Scottish government. So there is hope. And so there is hope uh, that they, they've opened 32 two miles of line. So we're hoping that it's just in around 10 miles of line between Portadown and Armagh. That isn't very much. And there's a lot of the structure is still there, I believe, isn't Most it? Most of the structure infrastructure is still there. In fact, there are overbridges still there as well. And uh, it, it, it would be a great project for the government to undertake. We know that Minister Mallon is, is very interested uh, in, in having some of the railways reinstated again. Yeah, she's and been quite vocal about it, hasn't she's she? She's quite vocal and, and she's working with Minister Ryan down south as well. And, and we're hopeful that, that the All-Ireland Rail Review will, will do many things. We've also been working with our local council as well, the ABC Council. And uh, there are monies coming forth from the Department for Infrastructure and some monies from the local council. We've had a scoping study already and we're moving on to the next stage now to have a technical study on the line, which should be progressed very, very soon. So things are happening. We, we, we feel that... that, that uh, Ported around to Armagh will in first be will be the first link to be reinstated of all the closures that took place in the nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties. It's a huge step for the government to put into reverse policies that were taken in in the nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties. So, but we feel it would be a progressive move to have this lane uh, reopened 
for the people of the city uh, of Armagh. We think it'll bring many benefits to employment, many benefits for tourism, many benefits for the climate, take a lot of cars off the A3. We believe that, that there are so many benefits involved with all of this. We have the new SRC College in Armagh as well, and I'm sure many students would like to come from far and near uh, using the, the, the local railway system. Yeah, because I mean, when you think about it right now, I mean, you have the train, you know, that's going directly from Dublin to Belfast. And, you know, what would it yeah. would take the amount of people now like students, you say, or anything like that, if they're going from Armagh, if they're going to Belfast or Dublin to go to university or vice versa, if they're coming up. Um, yeah, to, they have to get buses and lifts and everything yeah. to just be able to hop on a train and go to Portadown or, you know, it would be just so much handier. And of course, so many of our young people today aren't interested in obtaining a driving license or getting a driving license or have the hassle with it. They Not prefer the to use public of, transport. Yeah, and the amount of cost to get their cars insured. I mean, insurance is a huge issue for, for young people getting cars. So yeah, public transport is the only way for them to go. Plus they want to save the environment as well. They're, Plus they want to save the environment. They're very keen to save the yeah, environment. Yeah, yeah. And, and use, but if there isn't a good and efficient, clean public transport system, the young people just won't be interested. But... Trains today, the patronage of, of, of what railways we have in this part of the world now, and you know, the being Dublin Line, for instance, uh, Belfast Dublin Line, there are a lot of people using the railways today. It's gone up, I don't know, must, must be five or six fold over, over the recent decade. Well, I know the Dublin well, one is always packed. I mean, you, 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 the Dublin to Belfast one, it's, it's, I mean, I use it occasionally, and yeah, it's most the often. statistics would tell you from. You know, proper statistics would tell you that when the GNR axed all those lines in 1957, as William talked about, there were approximately 6 million passengers using the entire GNR system. Right. When, they, when the COVID started, what, a year or so ago, Northern Ireland Railways, now with their truncated system, they were, tra they were carrying 16 million passengers wow. on a small system, yeah. whereas the whole GNR system, and that number travelling in Northern Ireland Railways has been going up by a, between half a million and a million passengers every year for yeah. the, last, the last seven or eight or nine years. Yeah. And another thing is too that at the moment, the fastest express bus between Armagh and Belfast takes an hour. And I think actually that's on a Sunday night when there's not much traffic. Most of them take around just between an hour and five minutes and an hour and a quarter. But if there was a train on now, it could actually travel from Armagh to Great Victoria Street in 40 minutes. Yeah. And it's a way more comfortable journey too. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, people that happen to go by car, are well aware that in the morning congestion hour, uh, it can take anything up to three quarters of an hour to get from Lisport into Belfast. Oh, don't talk to me. I was drove up to Belfast this morning and I got stuck in traffic. Yeah, so I know all about it. But um, yeah, and I've seen the, the photographs. I don't know if any of our listeners um, it, um, have seen the photographs of the network, the railway network that used to be there's a great one that was doing the rounds where it showed all the, 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 all the stations and then they, how they diminished and you know, down to nothing. And it's just incredible to think that in this day and age when we're supposed to be so environmentally friendly, 
you know, we're trying to lower our carbon footprint and everything, that this is not something that's been looked at. I know you mentioned Eamon Ryan there of the Green Party uh, in the South, you know, I, I, and I'm sure he's very much on board with with this kind of thing. But but if if the ministers like um, Nicola Mallon and Eamon Ryan are are involved, it certainly seems that something will potentially be actually done instead of, I mean, you've been trying to get this done for a long time. And tell me about the petition. You had a petition and you got 10,000 people's signatures. Yes, there was a lady in the town called Susan McComb, uh, a lovely lady. And uh, Susan, uh, on her own bat, went around the town with many petitions and left them in shops, uh, every type of shop possible. Uh, her with her young child in, in, in the little buggy and she went around the whole town and she obtained 10,000 signatures of the people of Armagh from the people of Armagh wanting the railway to be reopened again and that was presented uh, to the ministers in Stormont at the time. And that probably spurned on some more debate about it as well. A lot of debate and, and uh, I believe it, it's the only infrastructure a request that has been asked for by 10,000 signatures. There's been many projects throughout the province, but ne never uh, a petition by 10,000 no. people to have no. it done. No. And uh, one would like to think, even though it's so many years gone by now, uh, that, that that petition would land the ball when somewhere was that, and be that ignored. Petition? About five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. About five Incidentally, years ago. it's worth mentioning, there was another survey done among foreigners now, it was specifically done among people who were French, German, etc., on the Enterprise Express service between Dublin and Belfast. Now, I'll emphasise it was not a scientific survey. Yeah. It was only done among about 20 people uh, on the train over a period of about three months. And six out of ten of them said they wouldn't consider going to Armagh as a tourist attraction because there was no real connection. Really? So it shows you the way Armagh is losing out in tourism from foreign people who are travelling from Belfast to Dublin or Dublin to Belfast. And many of them would be interested in getting off at Portadown and going to see Armagh's cathedrals, yeah, the planetarium, there's so much to offer in Armagh, uh, I mean, the yeah. observatory, uh, and all the various attractions that Armagh has. In fact, the mall itself yeah. is a tourist attraction on its own. Yeah. And I mean, these people say they would love to go to Armagh, but they're not going to get involved in the hassle of trying to get the last 10 miles at a bus or a taxi or whatever. Yeah, it's like Donegal. Donegal is, is another forgotten little pocket of Ireland that doesn't get, because there's no mm. transport. In fact, to go to Donegal, um, to go to Donegal from from Warren Point, you have to, which is where I'm from, you have to go down to Dublin, and then across on bus. You have to get a bus to Dublin and then a bus to Donegal, which is, you know, seems like completely illogical when it's the other direction altogether. But there you go. Yeah, that's another infrastructure thing. And another, you know, we just need in general to have things looked at. You know, in terms of you know, moving around the country you know, in a much more efficient way. I think the buzzword to have nowadays is uh, connectivity. Yeah. We need good connectivity between all the people and, and uh, every county in, in Ireland and that we all need to be interconnected. Uh, the modern transport 
systems now, the railway system, for instance, you should travel comfortably at 90 miles an hour on rail. Yeah. And yeah. even in terms of um, cities being overly populated, yeah. there are people living uh, on the outskirts or living in different counties that are closer to cities because, you know, because they can't afford rents or they can't, you know, there are no places to live in the cities, but you're still working there. So you need to be able to get there. Yes. Mm. And that, that's the importance of having a fast corridor from places like uh, Armagh or even Dungannon eventually and other places that, you know, fast uh, corridors and affordable uh, transport to take you from your home to the place of work in Belfast and back home again that evening to keep cities like Armagh viable and to keep young families within cities and working within cities that that folks can go to work and come home again that evening. In fact, there's a big difference between how railways were viewed down south and up north here. Up north, they keep talking about the viability of a railway system and uh, as if it must wash its face, face or whatever. Whereas down south, railways are treated more as a service. Yeah, uh, well, that's for, the way they should be. For yeah. the people and uh, servicing for the people and, and all of that. And we in, in powers would believe that, that railways should be a fast and efficient service to move people about freely between towns and between cities and, 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 and make the, the economy really, really viable. Yeah. And, and provide that excellent connectivity that's needed and take cars off the road, importantly. Yeah. And the, 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 the other thing, like some people might say, you know, the train is expensive. You know, it's, it, it is more expensive than getting a bus. But if there were more trains, they would probably bring the cost down as well. If they were used more. I don't think you're quite right when you say that no. the buses are cheaper because really... I mean, day returns in Northern Ireland on the railway, if you travel after half nine, you automatically get a one-third discount. Yeah. So say the fare was £12 up to until half nine in the morning, £12 return, you would get that same ticket for £8 return. Yeah. If you travel once the peak hour's over and for the rest of the day. Yes. And I think the buses have begun to copy that up to a certain extent. But the, the bus fares and you see, Translink run the whole operation in the north, and by and large, the fares are comparable in most cases. And if you get them well in advance online, but I suppose that depends too on where you know when you're free to travel. Like if if I go to Dublin on the train, I'm going. I'm not. It's not a day return. It would be the next day, and that puts the price up quite mm -hmm. a bit. But if you if you do get, but the advantage to that as well is that the. Um, if you get the bus, you have to get to the bus and you have to park and there's no parking. Whereas in the train, the train station, you can park for free. So, mm. you know, I, that's why it's cheaper mm. in the end to get the, to get the train actually does work out cheaper. But um, anyway. Well, the Northern Ireland Railways would say, and I think they're correct actually, that their fares on the railway especially are cheaper than anywhere else in the British Isles. Really? I mean, compared to... Manchester, Liverpool, Glasgow, Bristol, anywhere you go in the, in the... I mean, I was talking to a fellow the other day and if you book a fare from, I think it's from Manchester to London, just maybe at five or ten minutes notice, it can cost you up to about £700 return for a first-class ticket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be definitely cheaper to fly fly there and back a few times. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that sounds that sounds insane, but I'm sure that wouldn't be the norm. I mean, you can I know you can get 
the other thing I think that maybe uh, throws people to a certain extent is that as I understand it Translink have a policy that single fares are not all that much different from return fares. Yeah. So if you bought a day return from, say, put it down to Belfast off peak, yeah. I think it's around £9 return. Whereas if you buy a single, it could cost you maybe about £7.50 or something. Yeah. Well, that yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I, I suppose it's maybe from a logistical point of view, they want to make sure that as far as possible, people who travel with them travel in both directions, you know. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, that's... that's... I mean, I, I lifted a ticket the other day, I saw when I was on the train, and I think it was £13 from Derry to Mossley West, which is just outside, you know, Belfast. That was for a single. Yeah. And as far as I know, the day of return from Londonderry is only about £15. Well, so you, you could travel 180 miles for £2 more than you can travel for about oh, 90 miles. The, the logic defies <laughs> me as well. Get ready to shake up summer with the Get Active ABC Sunshine Fill Programme for kids and families. Get set for land-based adventure at our summer schemes, or why not get adventurous and maybe get wet at our Splashtastic Water Sports Summer Programme. There are so many things to do, and all we need is you. See getactiveabc.com summer for all the details. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about, and this is the thing that got me onto, in, interested in this topic from the very start, was because Arma, I have covered, you know, your group extensively and, you know, the ongoing, you know, this ongoing quest to get the railway back. But um, I, came I came across this a while ago when I was reading about the, um, the Arma rail disaster back in 1889. 12th of June, Wednesday, the 12th of June. <laughs> Yeah, can 18, you tell us a bit about that? Because to me, like this is an absolutely horrendous thing that happened, which I wasn't even aware of. I'm sure people from Armagh are more aware of it than, than I was. But anyway, maybe for those who aren't. That, that was an awful day for the city uh, of Armagh. Um, it, it started off innocently enough um, it, as a Sunday school excursion from the Methodist Church in Abbey Street in Armagh and uh, there was the, the band of, of the Irish Fusiliers uh, marched in front of the children and after they had a short service in the, in the church they marched down to the railway station and uh, they went down in procession and there they, they, they met the train and they were, they were loading onto the train. Now the capacity on the train uh, on I think the few days before there were tickets sold for 800 people uh, 800 people the interest then went up to 940 right. and they reckon on the day of travel the capacity perhaps could have been almost a thousand people on that train uh, and what was the capacity of the train how many was the train supposed to the capacity with? of the train probably then was about 940 900 940 yeah. but they reckon there could be almost a thousand uh, there were people uh, crowded onto the train for instance in the guards van at the back there were there were some soldiers in there. There were about eight soldiers and two civilians with instruments and picnic baskets. And there were also passengers on the guard van at the front as well. 
And people were packed in like sardines into, into that train and the doors were locked. Uh, the, the driver was called McGrath. Why uh, did they lock the doors? The, the, Apparently because it was to stop people maybe trying to get onto the train free as it left the station. Oh, really? Yeah. So they locked the doors on both sides of, of, of the of, of the carriages. The driver of the train that day was uh, a Mr. McGrath. Uh, his fireman was called Parkinson, Mr. Parkinson. And they had left Dundalk on engine number 86 very early that morning and had come up via Portadown and lifted two more third-class carriages yeah. in Portadown, empty carriages. They had 11 carriages with them. They collected another two carriages and poured it down and then came on to Armagh uh, down the line that we wanted to talk about reopening there down the Port of Down Armagh line. Yeah. They came down and then the train was that too long for the platform so they had to split the train in two and the passengers were shunted about. Would this uh, have been a norm for this type of thing? Would, they, would it have happened regularly or...? to have such a, a, a large capacity and to have to split the train in two like that? No, there could, have, there could have been probably two or three excursions from Armagh run by organisations like the churches. But those only happened, you know, it was an annual thing. It happened once a year. Yeah. It wasn't the thing... And would they have had those big numbers? They wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have had those big numbers. No. Except maybe a couple of times a year at the most. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the train, the, 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 there were far too many people on the train. Uh, the driver of the train, uh, number 86, Mr. McGrath, um, he had taken the engine up. It was a smaller engine than he would have required. Um, he had a bit of a debate with, uh, he had the debate with, is it Mr. Foster in the, the station? station the station master, Mr. Foster. And... Uh, he, he looked at the number of passengers and was a bit dilatory and he, he wondered, well, he, he was always going to take number 86 up that embankment, but there's a 1 in 75 steep climb uh, up the embankment and a lot of people wondered whether the engine would get over it or not. But he showed confidence in his engine, so much so that there was a train due to leave Armagh at 10.35 and they were offered that train to bank behind them and push them up okay. over the embankment. But the, the driver, Mr. McGrath, he refused. Uh, whether it was pride or whatever, but, but he, he refused that offer, uh, saying that his engine uh, could do it. But he, he gave off to Mr. Foster, the station master, and said, look, uh, we should have been told down in Dundalk uh, of the capacity of this train. So it was a litany of errors. So it was a litany of errors. Plus, it was a bank holiday. The the regular man who would normally uh, nominate the engine for the work was off on bank holiday the day before. So uh, it, it was it was um, a litany of errors all around, as you say. Yeah. But um, anyway, the, the, the train, the, the man in charge of the train that day was called a Mr. Elliot. He was the superintendent of the train. And... Uh, he was overseeing everything. Uh, he had responsibility for everything. And he was happy enough with the driver's decision. His thoughts were, well, the driver knows his engine. Yeah. If he feels it can get over the embankment, so be it. So uh, he actually was, was on the footplate when, when the train left Armagh Station at about what time? About 10 o'clock in the morning, shortly after 10. 
had left Armagh Railway Station and headed up the up the Market Hill and Uri Lane. And uh, the train left and off it went. Uh, doors locked, everybody happy, content inside the carriages. Uh, in fact, there was one woman who heard the uh, she was heard the dispute between uh, Mr. Foster and the driver, and she decided not to go on the excursion. Oh. So it must have been a heated, but everyone else was on the train. The doors were locked, and and away they went up the embankment, and they got a, a few miles outside Armagh near Dobbins Bridge on the Colony Embankment. So this is, you can actually see it from where we're sitting right well, now? No, you couldn't see it, but it's just over well, there, you know, yeah. behind those trees a little bit. Yeah. So they headed up the Colony Embankment, they, they were going okay, and then the engine, uh, the engine started to, uh, to lose power, and in, in terms of railway terms, the, the engine stalled. Right. So it couldn't pull the engine, uh, the engine and the carriages up the hill with approximately a thousand passengers on behind. So uh, they put the brake on uh, in the front guard's van and the guard's van at the back. They put the two handbrakes on and they decided to split the train. And they decided to uncouple the train at car between carriage number five and carriage number six. Right. And they uncoupled the train, and they were going to take the five, the engine, the tender, and one of the guards' vans and five carriages up to Hamilton's Bond. Up, this is just up the road here. Up the yeah. up the up the gradient, and then they were going to come back for the remainder of the carriages and bring them up, and then rejoin the train at Hamilton's Bond. Which sounds like. It would have made sense. It sounds like something that might have worked. But uh, it didn't. Uh, on on an embankment, it was dangerous. Uh, what 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 they should have done was kept the train as a whole unit, right. and went back and walked back and put um, what do you call the things on on the lines for making the noises? No, no, no. Or the 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 flare, not the flares for the fog. Oh, I fog detonators. Fog detonators. They should have went back walked down the line and put fog deck in that when the next train coming went over they made a bang and the train you to stop okay they had a policy then that if a passenger train left that another passenger train could leave behind it five ten minutes later yeah, yeah. so all they used was a timing system nice. so the next train coming behind was free to come behind that train you so, see that would never happen now Liam. in fact the armada disaster created railway history because the railway signalling was completely altered yeah. as a result of it. I mean, nowadays, a train, they have what they call block sections and a train yeah. coming behind cannot enter the block section ahead unless the signal has been cancelled for the train in front and it has moved on into the next section. Yeah. But in those days, as William said, it was just I think it was a passenger train was allowed to follow another passenger train inside a certain time yeah. and a passenger train was allowed to follow a goods train in a much longer time because a goods train travelled slowly but then they, they had still no way of knowing whether that train was still in that area or whether it had moved on they were assuming all the time it had moved on and of course in the case of this excursion it hadn't moved on and yeah. it come to a stop so the other train from Armagh, it was getting ready to leave at 25 to 11, thinking the line was completely yeah. clear. So they, they uncoupled the first five carriages, and ideally what, what would happen was 
the five carriages will be brought to Hamilton Spawn. But in separating the train, the first five carriages daunted the carriages behind, which were sitting on a steep yeah, incline. Yeah. And uh, even though Mr. Elliot had ordered the, the, the guard at the back to put his brake on and to put stones under the wheels, he had ordered him to do that. He should not have left. The rules were that he shouldn't have left his brake under any conditions, but nice. he did leave. And he put stones as instructed by Mr. Elliot under the wheels. Uh, the children obviously were happy. They were dancing. And with this dunt of the train and, and, and the movement within the carriages, the stones gave way. The back brake gave way. And there's doubt as to whether those in the in, in, in the in the guards van at the back, whether they interfered with the brake or not, no one knows. Uh, because Mr. Henry, I think it was, was, was actually down uh, putting stones on, on behind the train. So, but anyway, in any eventuality, the train took off, the remainder of the train took off down the incline. And the, the next train, uh, the Newry, the ordinary train in that line, the Newry train was on its way. Yeah. It had left Armagh Station, was on the same line. Assuming the lane was clear. Assuming yeah, the assuming lane was the clear. clear yeah. And they, they came round the corner, just across the bridge over the Portadown Road, Armagh Portadown Road, to cross that bridge. And they looked up Colony Embankment and they saw the carriages coming for them about 500 yards away. Coming they probably, also had the unfortunate that it was on a bend, so they didn't even have a straight run so they could have seen it in time. Yeah. Not that they probably could have done much anyway. So they, they put the, the, the... I think they had built up a speed of about 30 miles an hour. Right? 30, probably 35 yeah. miles an hour, 35, 40. Which doesn't sound fast, but it, when it you've got something coming the other way. Something coming at about 45 miles an hour. Yeah. Freewheeling towards you. A lot of weight. Uh, those remaining carriages. Um, the, the driver did very, very well. Uh, he slowed the train down to about 5 miles an hour. He had to think of his own. He had 14 passengers plus some goods wagons on, on his own train. So he had to think of, of the responsibility that he had. So he, he slowed the train down to about five miles per hour. And it was the best he could do. But the carriages, the oncoming carriages hit him. Uh, turned his engine, engine number nine, over onto its right-hand side. And it lay on the on the embankment. The tender stayed upright. And the brake van, the brake van, and in fact there was a, a horse attached just behind that. A lone horse uh, behind that again. So, uh, but it, it was left sitting upright. Uh, and and what happened then is the, the last three carriages of, of the excursion train took the full impact, and they just fell like cardboard, and everybody was strewn everywhere. And we had on on the actual day, I think there were seventy seven or seventy nine actual deaths on the day. But it, uh, the death toll went up to 88 when all the casualties and all oh were, were counted. It was a day of absolute horror. Every every horse and cart in Armagh that could carry anything was summoned, uh, was, was summoned out of town to come and try and bring people up to the infirmary. Doctors came from the infirmary. Uh, Belfast was summoned. Uh, doctors, the, the uh, Great Northern Railway provided special train to bring doctors and nurses from Belfast. It was just, uh, I think the, the head of, of the Sunday school was uh, Major Lynn, who, oh. who was, a, I think he was a surgeon in the army. And he said that he had been in battlefields where he hadn't seen so much carnage. 
And it was like mostly women and children. And maybe, women and it? children. And, and, and How many children died? Do they know? There must have been about 30 children died. Yeah, yeah. About, about 30 children died. The thing was, you see, Elaine, in those days, all these coaches were made of wood. Yeah. And I mean, they just... Just collapsed. Shattered in pieces. Yeah. Nowadays, the really carriages are all made from steel. And not only are they made from steel, they're made in such a way that they're built to take a certain impact. Yeah. So, so if, you, if, that, if, those had been, if those had been steel coaches, it probably wouldn't have been nearly as serious, but the wooden, the wooden coaches just completely shattered. Yeah. How many people of the, that were in the, those carriages, how many survived? Well, obviously, uh, there, there, was, there was about a thousand people in the train, so there was... A lot of them would have been the, the one that was gone ahead. A lot of them was the ones gone ahead, plus the, the first few carriages at the very top were, were okay, they, you know, the, the minor injuries and that. But there's about 300 people injured mm-hmm. as well. There were about 300 people injured. Mm-hmm. That, those were a lot of casualties to deal with on the Colony uh, embankment that day. And, and people were absolutely horrified. What One man, all the, the carriers, as we said, were invited to come out of our man, no matter what business you ran. If you had a horse and cart, you were to go out to that field. They were all yeah. ordered to come out and summoned to, to go out and they went out to that field. One man who had a son and daughter on the train came out with his cart. And when he saw the devastation, I think Mr. Hughes was his name. When he saw the devastation, he dropped dead in the field. Oh, dear. Railways have been railways have been operative for about fifty years at that stage, and that was by far the worst railway disaster that ever happened in the British Isles. Yeah, and I think even today it's still one of the what the top four or five disasters for the number who were killed and so forth. So the safety measures after that were the block system. They brought in the block system. That, that, that two trains couldn't be on the same stretch of line uh, at the same time and they, they introduced new yeah. signallings and all of that. But uh, that, that was taken out in an act of parliament. But th- those systems were known about, but they were voluntary. Yeah. You didn't have to use them. But then I think the law came out a few months it's after It's terrible that. to think that it's, it's the, way, the way of the world, isn't it? It usually takes some awful disaster before things, I'm just thinking of the stardust, the, the fire, and you know, it just it takes things, to something terrible to happen f- for measures to be taken. Mm. And you, there, there was a statue then, put there's a statue in Armagh in, um, in yes, memory the, of that. It was to comm- commemorate the, the 125th anniversary. Uh, the and myth- was your was your organisation involved in that? Well, we were with with the local council and, and the Methodist Church as well. There, there, there was a body set up, and, and of course the the uh, the Mall Trust as well. We had to get permission to have the the statue put uh, on on the Mall. It was of uh, it's of a little girl. I know, I've seen it. It's a little so... girl, and uh, she's deliberately carrying a bucket. Uh, the bucket is empty uh, because she she never made it to the seaside oh. uh, on on that day. So the bucket is is, is empty. But it depicts a little girl on on her way to the to the seaside and the innocence of that day for so many children uh, mm. who who lost their lives who yeah. should have had a special day. Yeah, oh, it's just so tragic, isn't it? Yeah, but that's uh, that's that, that's that's the Armagh River disaster, an awful disaster. Uh, Armagh had a week of burials. Uh, there was a real mourning about the town. You can imagine uh, the effect that that had on the city. 
and every every single religion was affected. We were yeah. friends. An excursion train was a special train. Uh, all your friends and people you knew and people you worked with, they all had a great day out. Yeah. And uh, every every religion was represented on that I'm train. Sure politics went out the window and on a day like that. Politics went out the window and Armagh was just, uh, it was a week of funerals and a very, very sad week uh, for the city in 1889. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the folks are, are buried up in uh, in St Mark's Church, yeah. mm-hmm. and there there are special places there. The Steele family particularly had a heavy loss. They yeah. lost five in one family. Oh, gosh. the the the, the Steele family, and they were connected with the church as well. Weren't they? He was oh. he church superintendent, but um, it it was an awful disaster. And it's uh, all written on the the headstones, yeah. in St Mark's graveyard about the various people who died in the railway disaster. Yeah. But that's, uh, that, that's, that's the Armagh railway disaster. Sad, a sad, sad day for the city of Armagh. And we were just talking about bringing the railways back to Armagh again. It's, it's just such a pity that Armagh paid the price for rail safety throughout the whole world where they use the block system. Yeah. We paid the price for it. And yet Armagh City doesn't have a railway have a now. Railway. And yet those 88 people paid for the safety of railways throughout the whole yeah, world. Yeah, there's an irony there, isn't there? There is a real irony there in yeah. all that. But, um, so back to now, back to today now, I'm trying to get this um, 10 miles, which sounds so little, but you think it's going to happen and, um, you know, the progress is there and the will is there. Well, any kind of objections and um, I mean I've seen some things where people are saying and I mentioned this to you before we started you know people are saying things like oh putting money into this is just a nonsense you know we need money for hospitals and everything but I mean to me that's you know we do, we know we need money for hospitals but it's a different thing you know it's a different it's a completely different thing what is your, your thought on that well even when we think of hospitals and money for hospitals a lot of our hospitals are now centralised for instance, when the railway was here, Armagh had Armagh Infirmary. We had our own infirmary. Everything centralised to Craigavon now. Yeah. We, we have to go to Craigavon Hospital uh, for those who need cancer care. A lot of them go forward to Belfast City Hospital. So even with the infrastructure that we have... In, you still in, need to get to the hospital. You have to get to the hospital. You must get there efficiently, uh, quickly. and, and uh, So a good transport infrastructure is important. They, they have centralised a lot of other infrastructure. So we need a good infrastructure to service that, a good transport infrastructure to uh, service all of that. And even, even thinking back to 1957, uh, people probably married someone of the same parish. Now... now for instance, I have a young daughter and she's married and living in Germany. And, and people travel throughout the whole world now and people are travelling and more and more and people have destinations to go to. For instance, the rail network really needs to uh, go into facilities that people use like our airports, like our harbours. And, and there needs to be a whole connectivity. I mentioned hospitals earlier. But there needs to be a whole connectivity of people and the movement of people. It needs to be examined very, very closely. So, yes, there are people who are against it. But I think people who are against it are very parochial in their views. They're not, they're not, they're not looking at the bigger picture. They're not looking at the, at the bigger picture. They're not looking at what's happening in Europe. They're not looking at what's happening down south. They're not looking at what's happening in Great Britain. Uh, they just need to... Uh, 
to wake up and then see what's happening and in, 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 even the, in the environmental thing round about us uh, for instance in, in France uh, if, if, if a flight is, is, is they're bringing out um, laws now if, if a flight is more the, the, an hour or less that people must in future use railways instead of flying to save the, the environment and they're putting people back onto railways so when you look at, at that and what, what modern European governments are, are doing, I think we need to, to bring our game up as well and, and think uh, think in, in a modern sense of things and, and do things properly and think of the future, not just think of the here and now, but think of the future and think of the children and think of grandchildren and, and make this world a, a better place transport-wise for everyone and make it a pleasant place to live and travel in. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's nothing worse than getting stuck on a traffic jam for, you know, an hour when you could be doing something. Well, it's stand at the moment. I mean, if you look back to 1957, when that really closed, there would have been a certain number of commuters, maybe who worked in Belfast Shipyard or wherever, who travelled every day on that train. But the number who travelled to commute in Belfast now would be huge compared to what that was. And I mean, they recently opened a 360-place car park at Portadown Railway Station. And that was before COVID started. That would have been packed every day. And if you had taken the trouble, you would have probably found that a big, big number of those cars were people who had travelled over from Armagh. Because a lot of Armagh people were actually, and Rich Hill people, were travelling to Portadown and using the train... Uh, where they work at Belfast, and I know quite a few of them. Yeah. And uh, in 1957, there wouldn't have been that number. Yeah. And of course, there would be a certain number of students who would prefer to travel every day yeah. rather than lodge at Belfast. And the railway has a great connection at the moment uh, to Queen's uh, at Botanic Railway Station. Yeah, the amount of people that would be thrilled with that. Because, yeah. Yeah, and also, so of course, to Jordanstown, to the Ulster University. Although they're moving into Belfast, but that'll still mean that people could commute quite easily from the Lake of Armagh in about 40 minutes. Their parents would be happy with that, though. <laughs> 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 I thought we were getting rid of our kids. <laughs> but uh, we're also told by governments today to think of the future and... Uh, to think that people are going to have much more leisure time in the future. So people are going to want to travel more, more tourists are going to want to come to Armagh. People are, go- are going to have much more leisure time to visit places and to do things. So we, we need good infrastructure uh, to be in place to let people travel and, and let people see new places uh, in, in their lives. And I think uh, think tanks and governments are saying that all the time, that people are going to have more and more leisure time so people are going to want to travel more and travel more efficiently yeah i mean i'm sure if they t- if they look at the places that are serviced by by the train they'll find that the tourist <clears> industry <throat> is a lot a lot stronger in those areas where there is an easy way to get there that people don't have to drive or take six different buses yeah and there's well, parts of the there. tourists who would come to armagh to see there'd be a, a big number of armagh people would, for instance, go to Belfast to go to uh, uh, the like of the Grand Opera House, yeah, or, or and go to concerts the, or anything, yeah, go to various musical events and yeah. so on in Belfast. And those people can go up on the train. Now, the norm would probably be some of those people would go and have a meal 
and maybe take a few glasses of wine exactly. or something. Well, they would fire all the. They wouldn't entertain going in the car. No, because it means you got one, a designated one driver. One person is to sit back and never drink anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we can think of all the reasons in the world here for this to go ahead. So, um, hopefully it will. You, there are strides being made now, and um, we're, what's we're, the next we're, step? We're, we're glad to say that uh, our local councillors. There's a unanimous agreement amongst all our councillors in our local council here to have the railway re-established again. There's a yeah. unanimity amongst them. And uh, the, we have now got to the stage where we're going to have this uh, technical report, which should be out very, very shortly. Uh, there's also going to be a new uh, transport, regional transport report for Northern Ireland. And we're hoping that this report's going to be part of it. And that's going to be a plan, not a strategy but more importantly, a plan of how transport will work in, in Northern Ireland. And then you have the uh, Nicola Mallon and, and you have Eamon Ryan working on, on the All-Ireland yeah. Rail Review. And we're hoping it will tie into that as well. And who knows, the, the railway may come to Armagh and then cross the border to Monaghan and then Clonus and swing round to the right round to Enniskillen. And who knows what it may go on to Sligo after that to join the whole... We might even get as far as Donegal someday. The whole, the whole system. Is, there's, a, there's a whole swathe of Northern Ireland starting up in the northwest of Derry right down to Newry where there's no railway line at all. Yeah. And it means that people who live in Oma, Dungannon, Armagh, Enniskillen and so forth, they have no railway connection. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're, and they, you have to think about the weather at times too. The railway would tend to be able to combat the weather much better than if there's about two foot of snow on the roads or something. That's you know? true, yeah. yeah. If, if you think of the people of Fermanagh and the people of Tyrone, two large counties, they don't have any railways of any description yeah. at all. And uh, you imagine how they must feel, and we feel it bad enough here in Armagh City that, that we're all taxpayers here. So we subsidise a, a railway as taxpayers on the on the east of the province, but we have absolutely nothing out of it. Yeah. But yet the taxpayers in this part of the world subsidise it. Yeah. So you can understand how people uh, in the city of Armagh and other places feel so hard done by. I know. That, that no they feel that can't they, that, that, they, that, they, that they can't accept they want to travel a long way and, and avail of it then, but. Um, you can understand how they feel yeah. when, when they watch how people travel uh, so freely and, and so fast on a fast system and we cannot avail of that, yet we subsidise it as taxpayers. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, well, thank you very much for talking to me, William and Bill. Um, I really enjoyed that. It was really informative and hopefully uh, things will sp speed up and get moving and sooner rather than later we'll have our we'll have our train yeah, thank you very much yeah. thank okay you. thank you thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed that really informative chat and hopefully we'll get the railway up and running soon and hopefully the ministers and the um, council and everybody who's involved um, really takes this seriously and makes sure that it happens um, because the benefits are, are there for us all to see Remember to keep getting all of your news from Arma I and I hope you join us next time for our podcast.
from the I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more from just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see mckinneycompetitions.com. 